This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 136. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Very excited to have you here. Uh, if you're new here, then you are listening to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. And uh, you know whether you're learning English Japanese, Swahili, or Klingon, whatever it may be, you're in the right place. You get two episodes every week, and they will help you become a better language learner. Uh, we've got a great community of people here all from all around the world, all learning different languages. So very happy that you are here with us as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get these episodes delivered to you automatically. Um, you can do that from either from within iTunes or you can just use the, the podcast app on your device to search for I Will Teach You a Language and that should pop right up and you can subscribe there. Now, we've got a slightly longer episode than usual today because I, am, I have a very special guest. We're going to be talking about advanced English grammar. So the, the tips are applicable to you, whatever language you're learning, but we will be focusing specifically on English here, but before we get into that, I'd like to thank the fantastic sponsors of the show, who are italki, and whatever language you're learning, you can get language lessons from the comfort of your own home, or from your car, from the office, wherever you like to do it, <laughs> you can get language lessons um, over Skype, and you can get a free lesson by going to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash free lesson. So, without any further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest for today, who is Shana from Espresso English. And, uh, you know, Shana has been producing fantastic English material and tips and advice for a long time now. So I'm really happy to have her here. We're going to be talking about why it is that people get stuck with English grammar and how we can solve it. It's a slightly longer episode than usual. So uh, make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax. And I give you Shana. Okay, so I'm super excited to have yet another fantastic guest here on the podcast today, and I'm very pleased to welcome Shayna from Espresso English. Shayna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ali. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Um, you've got a, a fantastic blog, which I believe is at EspressoEnglish.com. Is that right? Yeah, it's .net, actually, but I just bought the .com, so both roads will lead to the site. Fantastic. Yeah, Espresso English. And I've seen your stuff for a while, and it's really, really fantastic. And you know, here on the here on this podcast, I get a lot of questions about, um, you know, kind of more advanced level learning of all of all languages, including English. And so I thought we would uh, take a bit of time today to discuss advanced grammar in all its glory. So really between us, we can kind of illuminate this topic a little bit. But before we do, do you want to just take a second and tell people a little bit about you and your background and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from the United States, and I lived for many years in Brazil, where my husband is from. And while I was there, I learned Portuguese, and I also started teaching English. And I was teaching in uh, group classes, classrooms, uh, as well as private lessons. And eventually, just due to lack of time, I decided to take my teaching online. And so that's why I created Espresso English. And nowadays, instead of teaching you know, eight or 10 people in a classroom, I teach uh, half a million people per month through the website. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, congratulations on all that success. It's, 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 it's so great, isn't it, that we're able to kind of use the internet to, to reach so many people. It's, uh, it's, such a, it's such a privilege. And um, so let's continue in that vein and see what we can, see if we can get to the bottom of this grammar question. So a few episodes ago on the podcast, there was one question about advanced English grammar. And you know, I, I, 
I kind of tend to when it, when it gets to advanced levels in a language, I almost run out of things to say sometimes because I kind of get the the feeling that in a way it's super complex, but in a way it's super easy as well, or super simple because you just kind of got to start to make the language a part of your life and and try to learn that way. But I'm kind of very conscious that there are lots of other great opinions and thoughts out there like yours. So let's just start by taking a step back and, and thinking about just grammar in general. As a teacher, when your students ask you um, if grammar is important in English or not, what's your reply to them? Well, that's actually a great question. Uh, I think that the most important thing in a language is communication. And grammar provides the structure for that communication, because if your grammar is totally crazy and totally incorrect, then you can't communicate, right? Not even a basic sentence. However, you can communicate even if your grammar isn't perfect, right? In fact, as native English speakers, oftentimes when speaking especially, our grammar is not completely perfect. So basically, I tell students that grammar is important, and I do teach it. I try to teach it with an emphasis on using it, not just knowing the rules, quote unquote, but that uh, they should not let fear of grammar, of not having perfect grammar, stop them from speaking because they can still communicate even if there are some slight grammatical issues. Yeah, it's one of those funny things, isn't it? Because as you, I think you just said it very well that, um, you know, you can communicate without grammar. You can just say, you know, I go shop tomorrow, you come. Yes sort of thing and, and mm -hmm. you, you get the point across there's no grammar there but you get the point across and um and i think the reason that but sometimes people interpret that as as saying that grammar's not important that you don't need to learn it but i think that the thing is about grammar it's one of the most tangible things about language right it's one of the most teachable things as a, as a teacher grammar is one of those things that you know when you think to yourself okay what am i going to teach this class today grammar is one of those things that is kind of easy or convenient or standard i'm not sure what the right word is to actually teach and people kind of get people people f have this sense that unless they speak perfect with perfect grammar they're not speaking the language well and so this it's important to give this advice to people so that they don't get hung up on the on the on, on the problem of grammar right exactly yeah i think some schools and teachers unfortunately overemphasize grammar. Uh, so they put a little too much emphasis on the really complex, picky little details of the rules. And so that's why I always teach it in the context of using it. Even if I'm doing something really complex, I always say, okay, and this is how we would actually use it in day-to-day -day life. And why don't we do some role plays or why don't we practice making some sentences? Um, anything to kind of bring it into the real world. Uh, it's I, I really think is the best way because as adults learning a language, we actually have the advantage of being able to learn grammar because children when they learn you know they learn it kind of naturally from picking it up and just hearing it spoken adults we actually have more of an advantage because we can think about the logical structure of a language and we can yeah. understand stuff like the third conditional hypothetical tense um but again students will kind of prevent themselves from making progress if they get too, as you said, hung up on it and they think it always has to be perfect yeah it's, it's something that i often find myself doing actually is, is kind of in a way kind of giving advice that I know is not necessarily like the be all and end all but you have to do it to kind of balance out things that people tend to worry too much about you know like the whole thing of speaking like so many so often when people start learning a language they they postpone actually speaking because they feel oh, I'm not ready yet 
right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I would often say to people, look, start speaking as soon as possible, which is not the same thing as saying that speaking is the most important thing. But it's just that if I don't say that, the risk is that you'll go for years without, without actually speaking. Definitely. And even when you're learning the very first grammatical principles, like just the present simple tense, you can already start just try to make 10 sentences in it and say it out loud and try to um, describe your daily routine using the present simple speaking out loud again. And it's something that you can really incorporate into your language practice from the very beginning, even if you're only speaking to yourself, right? Uh, just to build that confidence and get your mouth used to uh, just pronouncing the sounds and, and saying the grammatical structures out loud. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about um, grammar at different levels then, because obviously at the very early stages, you you need to learn basic grammar for communication. You need to learn the basic tenses and the basic verb forms that you need to to accurately use those tenses. What's your experience of the the necessity to learn grammar at different levels when you become more advanced in the language? Yeah, great question. So in the beginning stages, oftentimes, as teachers, I've got to get the students to really focus on just the basics. And that's usually present simple future. Most languages, not all, because languages treat time differently, but most languages have some version of present, simple, and future. And if you can get those down, you can kind of get the rough sense of being able to talk about almost anything, right? Even if it's not present, perfect, continuous, or something like that. In the intermediate level, you start to flesh out your knowledge a little more with some of those more sophisticated tenses like uh, present perfect or continuous tenses or um, to get away from verb tense a little bit. That slide when you were a beginner, but now we really want to get your language more polished. And then when you're advanced, it becomes really hard to study grammar specifically because, as you said in the beginning of the podcast, the cases become really complicated with lots of little tiny rules and exceptions and things that are rules, but native speakers don't say it that way. And so it gets hard to study grammar directly. And at the advanced stage, you really need to study it a little more indirectly by focusing on real materials, right? Uh, books, TV shows, things that are not made for language learners, but just made for native speakers. And also by getting someone to correct you. Because by the time you're advanced, most people won't correct your grammar in conversation because they think it's already good enough. You know, I, I, I get the sense of what he or she is saying. And so they, they'd be embarrassed to pick up on and correct your grammar mistakes. So you need a kind of native speaking partner or a teacher to fix those little things that will help you really become even more fluent and just eliminate any of those bad habits or grammar mistakes. Yeah, well, there's, there's so much in, in so much there in what you just said. So I want to see if I can kind of extract a few, a few, few different lessons from that. So you mentioned the fact that the, the, the usage of grammar at the advanced level in English becomes very kind of nuanced, right, and very, very uh, detailed, but that it's um, it's not necessarily, I guess it's not always according to rules either, is it? It's sometimes, it, you know, it's kind of, it, it's flexible and native speakers use, use grammar in, in slightly flexible ways. The students, though, and I know this because a lot of listeners to this podcast uh, ask this, like, they still feel this need to learn perfect grammar and perfect their grammar at the advanced stage. So if if it's something that can't really be studied per se, what is that what's the implication for for learners? 
Well, one thing is I do get a lot of questions from advanced learners. A lot of times they want to know why. Why is this sentence the way it is? Why is the adjective used in this way and not in this way? And oftentimes I discourage students from asking why because what they're looking for is a rule, right? They're mm-hmm. looking for some rule that they can understand and apply it to all the other cases. And sometimes it's a case where there just isn't a rule. Like take the use of uh, the infinitive to work and the gerund working. There is no rule for when you use which one after certain verbs. You just have to memorize which verbs are followed by the infinitive and which verbs are followed by the ing form. And that drives students nuts. But I say, well, if you try to create a rule, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You just have to accept that that's the way the language is. And I know that's not something that a lot of students like to hear. But what I tell them is, you know, just accept it for what it is. And try to practice as much as you can with that structure so that it kind of reinforces it in your mind. So instead of having to remember the rule, you'll just remember, oh, naturally, this structure goes with this one because I've practiced it uh, 80 times. Yeah, and rules can really help, sort of cause you to run into trouble as well, can't they? Because, you know, I remember when I when I used to teach English, I would I learned how to, uh, you know, we would follow course books and we would sort of teach the, condi- the different conditional tenses are the first conditional, second conditional, third conditional, and you kind of teach it as if these things were separate. But then uh, after you've been doing it for a while, you actually realise that native speakers mix all this stuff up all over the place. And, oh, yeah. You know, we don't, there's no such thing as a rule for here you use first conditional. We, 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 we are totally, uh, uh, we're, we're really all over the place with the way we use that. And so for the student, if they if they learn the that you know the second conditional should be used in this way and the third conditional should be used in that way they're asking for trouble aren't they when they actually come to try to analyze how native speakers are are speaking Right. I mean, I think there are definitely general trends and guidelines. So it's really easy to say, for example, first conditionals used when you're imagining a real possibility in the future versus second conditional when you're imagining uh, an impossible or hypothetical situation. So that's a good baseline, right? But as you probably know, there's something called the mixed conditional, which kind of really... Uh, messes with all those possible situations. <laughs> and uh, it does get really tricky, um, but it is possible for learners to master. And eventually, when as the, the more they are exposed to these complicated structures and the more they try them out themselves and maybe get corrected or get adjusted, it will they will start to get a sense of what is right. Just like a child uh, does it naturally, right? Um, by listening to their parents and the parents will correct them if they say I eated the cookie they'll say no it's I ate the cookie um, eventually it is possible for the language learners to develop start to develop a sense of what sounds right and what sounds wrong and there's no way to do this except by, by time and and exposure and immersion in that language yeah, and, that, and that's such a good lesson as well it's something that people don't want to hear but it's absolutely true it's just like in Spanish for example when you when people ask you know what's the, what's the difference between ser and estar or por and para, um, the answer is well, it's this, 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 and this. But actually, it kind of depends on the speaker and what kind of mood uh, they want to they want to convey, what, what kind of nuance they're trying to get across in the, in their sentence. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. So much of so much just has to, we have to leave down to time, and, and I guess it's natural, right? Being a student, you're kind of looking for ways to speed up the process, and you want to be able to control the speed at which you learn but it's but it's just with things like this it's just very hard to do isn't it 
Well, one thing that definitely helps is just to pay attention. So, yeah. for example, a lot of people will consume, you know, they'll read things or they'll listen to things and they're they're content with just getting the gist of it, getting the general idea. But if you really take, let's say you're studying um, from a TED Talk or something like this, and you really take it and pick it apart and look at the grammar structures and say, oh, interesting. Um, like, here's a really common one. So, in English, we say... We, the word depend is followed by on. It depends on the weather. Okay. But in Portuguese, the word depend is followed by of. Depende de. So it's a slight difference. But if you're just kind of paying attention, so you're talking to a Brazilian or someone from Portugal and they, they say, you know, it depends of the weather. Obviously in Portuguese, you'd say, Oh, interesting. They used of instead of depend. Uh, they used of instead of on. Maybe that's the way it's done in Portuguese. So instead of just kind of, letting the sentence fly by and you just don't really think about it, just pay attention to those little details. And that in itself will already increase your awareness of them so that when it comes time for you to say a sentence like that, it'll you'll be more likely to say it the right way according to that language. Yeah, and that's that's fantastic. And I think what you've just said accounts accounts for how you can get 10 students going through the same language course and getting completely different results, right? It's the extent to which you can focus and notice the way that language is used is going to get you the results that that you eventually get in your in your language. So you mentioned earlier that it's that the native speakers will not correct you at an advanced level, and I've always found exactly the same thing. Um, so, what do you think is the role of the teacher at an advanced level as opposed to self study? Right. So the teacher is super important because um, that's the person who, when when you speak with the teacher, you want them to correct every single error, no matter how small, uh, especially when you're advanced. Because if someone were to do that to you in regular conversation, like you're just hanging out with friends and they're correcting you every five seconds, it would just get annoying, right? Uh, yeah. Because you're, you're there to socialize. You're really not there uh, specifically to improve your grammar. But the teacher will, will stop you and correct you, or maybe they'll let you finish and then say, okay, in that sentence you used um, simple past, but you should have used past perfect. Here's why. Sometimes they can give you a bit of an explanation, which helps. Other times they might say, it's just the way we say it. Uh, but it's just a more active, targeted way to practice. And so I've found that um, really you remember things better, not when someone tells you hypothetically, oh, by the way, if you ever want to say this, you should say it with this grammatical structure. But when you try to say it, make a mistake and get corrected, you remember it better. Yeah, absolutely. And um I guess it's about it's about feedback, isn't it? It's about that having a way to get feedback, and what, whether that feedback is kind of direct or it just causes you to think. Um, it's, it's very difficult to know how to improve unless you're getting feedback from somebody who's able to help highlight that stuff to you. Yeah, and you know, there's a couple different ways to do it. Uh, you can do it through like a conversation exchange, just getting any native speaker who's not necessarily a teacher. They can correct you. They might not be able to give the explanation, right? Because they, they, they don't know the grammatical rules of their own language. They just know how it's supposed to be said. Uh, and you can work with a teacher, of course, who might be a little bit better able to explain why if you really need that um extra bit of information. Um, what I do, since most of my courses are self-study, what I have the student do is actually write something and send it to me and I correct it. So it's almost like they're getting a teacher by correspondence course. 
Yeah, fantastic. And I guess then all they have to do is actually take the time to properly go through the corrections and make sure they've understood it and absorbed it, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> so you've you've touched on a couple of these things already, but you, I mean, I know you, you've mentioned that most of the, the work you do now is is online, and so I'm not sure how much direct contact you have with with students, but obviously you've taught in the past. And so when you think back to your most successful students, you know, that you're kind of, we've all got, all teachers have got like an ideal student, someone that just, just seems to do everything right. When you think back to those really, really good students, can you think of anything that they used to do, a particular behavior that they would exhibit, something that you can point to that says, okay, that person studies in this way and that's why they're so successful? Oh, yeah, definitely. I got a great example of this because I worked with a student who he did not have that natural language learning ability that some people, you know, can just pick up languages. He had learning issues. He had learning difficulties. And in fact, he had a lisp in his native language of Portuguese. So English was even worse for pronunciation. And he was facing, you know, he was coming from a place of like negative talent. So you would think you would look at this guy and think, oh, great. He's probably not going to go anywhere. Well, he was so dedicated. He did private class with me four days a week. He did all the homework I assigned him and more. So if I didn't assign him enough homework, he would work ahead in the book or he'd try to read an article and he'd bring it in and say, teacher, what does this mean? And he made so much progress. I was so amazed because uh, he went from basically a beginner with extreme pronunciation difficulties to a solid intermediate still had an accent but he was able to work with an english speaking manager and hold a conversation and um it was really impressive because he didn't have that natural talent but he overcame it through that sheer dedication and persistence and putting it into practice as much as he could we'd listen to an audio clip 50 times until he could get it and uh he just plowed through and made a lot of progress so it's a, it's a it's a level of dedication, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's always a bit of a danger in this, uh, you know, because we we often talk about kind of shortcuts to learning and stuff like that. And there are things you can do to to speed up the learning process. But at the end of the day, you've got to do the work, right? I mean, you have to sit down and and really say. I mean, you know, thinking in my case, for example, I've often found that I, I've told myself, well, I'm learning a language at the moment, but I'm actually not. I'm really not doing very much. The time the time that I really that I really make progress is when I say, OK, this I'm serious about this now. And this is something I'm doing every day. And, you know, I might be waking up early in the morning and spending like an hour with a focused time on that thing. But making sure you're actually doing the work and setting aside regular time in your in your life for that and you know i i just i've always felt i don't know what you found shana but i've always, I've always felt that of of all the people who kind of ask questions and are looking for a, a faster way to study so many of their difficulties or issues around progress could be solved by just saying look let's start taking this a bit more seriously and just putting the time in Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. And I would just add to that, I found this to be very successful um, for myself, not even for language learning, but for getting work done is I think it's really interesting when language learners can set uh, challenges for themselves. Like, for example, let's say they're a little bit nervous about keeping up an hour of study a day for the rest of their lives. They're like, oh, I'm going to get kind of busy in the winter. I'm not sure. Well, okay, here's what you can do. Take the next month and set a challenge for yourself. Like, okay, next month, I'm going to watch 
um, one episode of my t- favorite TV show every day with subtitles and really go through it and try to get as much as I can. And then after that month, you stop the TV show and then maybe you try something different. Okay, now this month, I'm going to read a novel in my target language. And so you're working very intensely on different aspects of the language. So it stops it from getting boring. It stops it from getting repetitive. And by the end of that month, normally, uh, you can feel like you've accomplished quite a bit because you probably have. That is so, that's so cool listening to what you said, because it sounds like something that (laughs) listeners are going to recognize me in so much of what you've just said, that, that, that kind of focus, that, that, that single-minded focus on one thing. I think that's, that's such fantastic advice. All right. So we are, we're drawing to a close here. So Tina, could you maybe take a second and, and think about somebody who is an advanced learner of English that they want to really nail their, you know, the last 5% of advanced English grammar? What would be the top tips that you would give them to focus on over the coming months? All right. Top tips would be number one, use real material that's challenging for you. And um, by real material, of course, I mean material that is not produced for language learners, but for other native speakers. So um, TV shows, books, uh, talks in the language you're trying to learn, uh, because you'll get a lot of the advanced and the more complex structures out of that. And the other one is to get feedback, uh, get someone, whether a language learning partner or a teacher and tell them, I want you to correct everything. Uh, I want you yeah. to correct every single thing that I do wrong and um, just take it from there. Practice, get that feedback and keep going. That's fantastic. Very, very cool. Okay, Shana, thank you so much. That's been super interesting. Um, where can people go to find out more about you and Espresso English? They can go to EspressoEnglish.net where I've got a blog with a lot of free tips. Uh, there's also a YouTube channel and some courses and eBooks for people who want to kind of learn more. And you have a podcast as well? Yeah, I do. Uh, if you search on iTunes for Espresso English, you should find it. Right, because everyone listening loves podcasts. So definitely go out and check Espresso English uh, on iTunes, or I guess you can find it on Android. You guys know how to find podcasts. You're all very bright. Um, fantastic, Shana. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you again, hopefully, very soon. All right, Ali. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that interview with Shana. You know, I'm... Uh, just a kind of side note, I guess. So I'm used to doing solo episodes on the sh- on the show, and I I always feel that like when I'm interviewing people, I don't do a very good job. And I I, I also felt that in this episode, I felt that I was I, I don't know, I, you know I invite someone onto the show to interview them, and I end up giving um, too many of my own thoughts and ideas. I think I, I as an interviewer, I uh, I'm learning to be better, and I'm learning to create more space for the person who is um, who I'm interviewing. So I just wanted to 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 mention that a bit of thinking out loud but uh, nevertheless i hope you enjoyed the uh, the episode some really great tips from shana if you would like to ask shana a question or con- or make, leave a comment on this episode please go to i will teach forward slash episode 136 thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode